So today is the Feast of St. Francis, and what's always interesting uh, when we look at the lives of the saints is any, any account of the life of the saint will be maybe a page, page and a half long. Uh, but into that page and a half, uh, we, just, we, read, we, we scan through it, and it just, it just all kind of seems so easy in some way. You know what I mean? See, we know how the stories finish. We know they become saints, we know everything goes well, and so on and so forth. Uh, but in the lives of the saints, when, when they were living these things, when they were going through these experiences, they had no idea how things were going to work out. They walked in faith, but not knowing what the next step was actually going to, to mean. You know what I mean? Like they feel called to do something, they do it, but they have no idea what's, what's following that. Did St. Francis set out to form a religious community, an order? No. That wasn't his plan at all. Um, Francis, St. Francis' name is actually Giovanni, John. He was, um, his dad was away trading and uh, his wife gave birth while he was away, so uh, she had the, the, the child baptized Giovanni. And uh, when he came home, when the father came home, he was furious because he didn't want his child named after any saint. He wasn't really into the whole religion thing. So he said, no, we won't call him, we won't call him Giovanni, we'll call him Francesco, because he loved France. He loved, his father loved all things French, French poetry and French music and French clothes and the French accent as well, maybe. I don't know. Loved France. So he wanted his son to have a similar love for France. So he called him Francesco, which basically, it basically means Frenchy in English, to be a Frenchy. Uh, so that's, that's, that's how he got the name. It's kind of a nickname, but the name stuck. So no one ever called him Giovanni. It was Francesco the whole way. Good. Francesco was very likable. He came from, a, his, his family, was, his father was rich, so his family was, was, was uh, relatively rich, which allowed him then to, in his teen years and, and, and a little later on, to live life with a lot of parties and a lot of fun. And since he was very likable at school, even if, cause he was a bit of a dreamer, those kind of dreamers, those, those kind of people who just have fantastic ideas, let's go to, let's go to, let's go to Croatia for two weeks. And we'll spend all the time on the beach. And then, and then, you know, those kind of people are just kind of, woo, go off with ideas. They're great, like, they're great people to have around the place. As long as you have someone there with them who can actually do the thing. Because, yeah, let's not get lost in detail. Francis was a dreamer and loved dreaming. Loved his, like, like letting his thoughts go. So he, this would happen at school. So everyone else would be studying Latin or Italian or maths or whatever. And he'd be like... Lost. But because he was so likable, the teachers kind of let him away with it. So he ended up not doing very well at school. Uh, he ended up being a bit constantly distracted, not really having any <clears throat> direction apart from the direction chosen for him by his father to, to be a, a trader of so material clothes. Um, so that he would import a lot of these things from France and then make clothes for the rich and famous and the nobility and all of that. So it was a good business. Okay, so that's what <clears throat> Francis was set up to do. All good. He loved, as I said, he loved life and life to the full from the perspective of the world. He loved to fill his life and his evenings with parties. And as he says, said himself, he lived in sin at this time. He also wanted glory. He wanted to do something important. Because that, that, this often happens, people. We were just talking about like, the, the royal family <clears throat> recently and the crown. And like, for those who, who are in line for the crown, I guess their role is a little more clear. Like, Charles for the last couple of decades as you know he knew that he would be next in line but for everybody else in the royal family what do they do 
it's it's uh, actually it's not sometimes it's not it's not easy. Like you don't you don't have a nine to five job. What do you fill your day with? You might say it sounds like it sounds like heaven. <laughs> but if you go to sleep at night not having actually done anything and fulfilled anything, that's you begin to feel a bit empty. That's why a lot of the, the royal family they, they get involved in charities. They get involved in <clears throat> campaigning for certain issues because they need to do something with their lives. So, so Francis wanted to do something important. He wanted to be. He wanted to have glory, if I'm honest. There's a fair share of vanity in there as well. So, uh, Assisi and Perugia were, went to war, <clears throat> two neighbouring cities, and the Assisians, the, those from Assisi, were absolutely annihilated, but since they could see that Francis was from a noble background, they were worth something. So the rich were taken as captives, as prisoners, and only freed at a ransom. So <clears throat> that was all he was able to do in the war, in the battle just be captured, sit there in a dungeon for a year and then get freed when his family was willing to pay the ransom to let him go. So he came home not having achieved much glory at all. On another occasion then, uh, he wanted to head off for the Crusades, but not, not as a regular foot soldier, as a knight. So he had uh, armour made for himself, but not just any ordinary armour, uh, top-of-the-range armour with all sorts of kind of gold inlays and crests and all sorts of kind of fandangle stuff. <clears throat> and a wonderful horse, of course, and a big long cloak. All superheroes need a cloak, despite what uh, the Incredibles say. Okay, uh, so he had a big long cloak which would flow behind him as he would ride. And he rode one day out of Assisi and then had this, I guess you could call it a mystical experience, a call from God saying, this isn't for you. This isn't for you. And what's interesting about Francis is, is at this point, like he wasn't particularly close to God, but but maybe there was there was some there was still kind of a his heart was still in some way formable. And so he he just he recognizes this is this is this is from God. This is I'm not supposed to go this direction. And so he returns home. Now, for someone who had made such a big deal about leaving for battle and having, you know, all obviously like it's a small relatively small uh, town. So the whole town would have spoken about Frenchie, the guy with the armor. Did you see the armor? <laughs> right? The whole place would have spoken about it. You know, there's no TV like there's nothing else to do. Uh, so then he rides one day away and then comes back. Did you see Frenchie? He only made it like to the far side of the parish. <laughs> Fair play to him. <laughs> you know, you can imagine like all the, the talk, like the talk, in, 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 they would have been absolutely ridiculed. So he comes back and there's a, Obviously, an embarrassment, humiliation, and all. But there's, 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 there's this hunger for, for more. He's had an encounter with God in some way. And there's an emptiness. There's, there's a desire for more. There's a hunger for more, but just wasn't able to quite put his finger on it. So, what did he do? Well, he, he became a, bit of a, a small bit of a wanderer. I mean, he'd spend a bit of time in the forest, and he, spent, he went to a, a church. Uh, called uh, San Damiano, St. Damien. And the church had been abandoned. So the church was in very, very bad repair. And while praying there in front of the cross of St. Damien, San Damiano, he, feels that he hears the Lord say to him, rebuild my church. So this is in the, the 12th century. Things were hairy enough in the church. Things were, were messy enough. There was, there, was, there was a lot to reform, a lot to renew. It's always, just, it's always dangerous when uh, the church, which has spiritual power, and, and temporal power get mixed. Um, if the church has spiritual power 
and so civil power, temporal power, civil power, that's a, that's a very, very dangerous thing because then a person might be motivated by the wrong reasons to want to become a priest or a bishop or a cardinal because you can control people. You have control over their spiritual life and now you also have control over uh, the land. That's, so there was, a, there was great renewal needed, there's no doubt. So the Lord says to, to, to St. Francis, rebuild my church. So St. Francis, being a bit impetuous, <coughs> decides to raise some money to rebuild the church. So he rushes home, gets all of his dad's rolls of fine cloth, and sells them at knockdown prices. It was like a January sale. All right, so he sells it all off, gets a load of money, and heads off to, to rebuild San Damiano, the church of St. Damien. Now, when his father discovers this, he is furious because effectively his stuff has been stolen, right? His material has been sold and he hasn't got a penny for it. So he sees this as an act of theft. So he drags Francis in front of the bishop in a, an effect, what was effectively a public court, right? So the bishop is standing there. Obviously, again, the town would have gathered around. No TV, no Netflix, no, no Wi-Fi. So the whole place gathers around because there's nothing else to do uh, to see what's going to happen. Frenchy. Right, so Frenchy's standing there, Francesco, uh, is standing there, and the father accuses him of theft. And the bishop says, well, you have to give everything back. And St. Francis says, okay, I give everything. I give all the money that I raised. And then he proceeded to apparently remove his outer garments. I'm not sure how much he removed. But let's just presume it's outer garments and leave it there. Let's not stray into scandal here. But he removes his clothes and says, I give everything to God. Then he says, my earthly father is no longer my father. I have but one father, and he is God in heaven. So he gives everything away, gives everything back to his dad, and as such goes off into the forest happy, because now he is free. He, this is how he sees it. He is now free. He says, you can't starve a man who is fasting. You can't steal from a man who has nothing. You can't take honor from a man who is humble. So you can't, the world can't hurt me. They have nothing to take from me. You understand? It's, it's, an, it's an, interesting, an interesting kind of perspective. You can't starve a, a man who's fasting. You can't steal from a man who has nothing. So uh, he, he feels very, very free. So then this kind of joyful nature, <coughs> this, this likable character that he had uh, was of great benefit to him because now he, he goes up to the forest, starts to live in the forest, and begs for food. Spends the days in prayer, and visit, visits the local houses with a bucket or a bag, and says, have you any leftovers for me? So, in our house here, that means you're living from what's in the chicken bucket. Yep, every day you live from the scraps. So, you get your little spoon and dig into the chicken bucket and eat away. So it's, it's less than pleasant, less than pleasant. But interestingly, this radical lifestyle started to attract people. Men started to join him. And they were, they were just fascinated by this radical lifestyle, this, this, this poverty for love of God, for love of God. It's not, they're, not, they're not glorifying poverty as if, as if poverty on its own is a good thing but poverty out of love for God, to do everything out of love for God and expect everything from him. <laughs> so people started to join him, and he found himself 
as leader of this, of this group of men. So he was praying. He said, Lord, what am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do? What, what direction are we going? So you keep in mind, he didn't set out to form a religious community or an order or anything. So he didn't know what the next steps were. And so he was praying and he got three Bible verses in order to direct uh, him and his community. So the first was the, the parable of the rich young man. Remember the, the, the man who has obeyed all the commandments from his youth. You lack one thing. What is that? Go and sell everything you own. Give the money to the poor and come follow me. And the, the man goes away sad because he was a man of great wealth. Okay, so that's one, one Bible verse. Uh, also, when the Lord says to the apostles to go preaching and take nothing, no purse, no haversack, and that, that missionary life with no safety net. Right, so that's, that's the second verse. And then finally, uh, he who wants to follow me, let him renounce himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This idea of taking up the cross daily. So a life of poverty, <clears throat> a life of trust in providence, and a life where the cross will be accepted joyfully. So this is the, the, the lifestyle that they start to live. And again, it's, just, it's incredible that, that that would have been so attractive because there's something in our nature that longs for comfort, something in our nature that longs for, for a bit of security that tomorrow I'll be able to eat. But to renounce all of that and say, Lord, you will provide. You will provide. That's uh, craziness in the eyes of the world. So his idea wasn't to in any way glorify poverty, but to make poverty holy. Okay, so we have nothing, but Lord, you make me whole. You fulfill my every need. That's what holiness is, that, that he makes us whole. Whatever is lacking, whatever need there is, God will provide. So now we're whole, we're holy, because God has given us everything. So this is the, the, the lifestyle that, that he chose to live. He lived a life of great humility. Uh, he went to meet a bishop on one occasion, and keep in mind, like, they dress like beggars, right? So this kind of brown habit which you see today <clears throat> is somewhat more tailored, Back then, it was a bag, a canvas bag. Uh, so the bishop, <clears throat> bishop's secretary saw these two beggars coming to the door. And uh, he answers the door and he says, excuse me, can I help you? He says, yes, we're, we're here to see the bishop. And uh, the secretary, presuming that they're just beggars looking for more money, says, uh, no, he's not, he's not available. And St. Francis says, well, uh, we, have, we have an appointment with him. Should, I, should we wait? And the, and the secretary says to him, look, wait wherever you want. Wait in that pigsty for all I care. So Francis said, thank you, I will. And so himself and his brother, they go, they sit down in the pigsty. Secretary goes back into the office and says, um, and the bishop asks, you know, any, who was at the door? Uh, it was uh, some beggar named Francis. He says, yes, I have an appointment with him. Bring him in. So Francis and his brother come in stinking of pig. And so on. So, an extreme humility and extreme uh, obedience. Which he lived. He had great courage too, because he felt the need to uh, to be a missionary, right? So, the Crusades. This was the time of, of the Crusades. So, he wants to go over and make a difference. He wants to go over and maybe fulfil that desire for glory, but now in a holy way, to win souls for Christ. So, he goes over to Syria with the Crusades, and he says, "Well, look, rather than trying to." convert so many people in a town or in a village what if I just go to the sultan right the the, the local governor if you will if I just go to the to the to, to the sultan if I can convert him 
then that example surely will affect the whole town or the whole city. Again, he's dressed like a beggar. He doesn't, look like, he doesn't look like a man of nobility or influence. But to the grace of God, he's able to have uh, an audience <coughs> with the sultan. And so he speaks about God and explains how God is. That he's three in one, and <coughs> he loves us so much that he became man to die on a cross to show, to prove that love. And he does this <coughs> to forgive us our sins so that we can spend eternity with him in heaven. And so he explains the faith and in relatively simple terms. And the Sultan is reported to have said, I would convert to your religion, which is a very beautiful one, but both of us would be murdered. So he didn't. But this was, like, this was the courage of, of St. Francis. You go to like a, a Muslim leader back in the day, we were seen as the enemy. He could have been killed, decapitated, made disappear, who knows. But he goes to the, to the sultan, speaks to him in these terms, and, and the sultan was actually, would have actually converted, but he would have been killed if he had, so he chose not to. So this is, this is Francis. When he came back then from that trip, uh, his, the number of followers had increased to 5,000. So now, you know, at 5,000, that's, that's, that's like a, a small town of men with no showers living in a forest, right? That's a lot of... Uh, it's a lot of manliness right there. That's, uh, whenever we, we go camping for one night, we come back and feel fairly, fairly sorry for ourselves. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of, that's a lot of men. In a, in a, yeah. so, so there was now a need for, for, for governance and for, for food and shelter. and like This grew exponentially, way more than Francis could ever have expected. So uh, he, he never became a priest. He was never ordained. St. Francis was never a priest. He, did, he was ordained deacon, uh, somewhat against his will at one point. So, but he, he never, never desired uh, any kind of notoriety or titles. He just wanted to be a servant, a poor servant. So due to his fasting and due to uh, his missionary efforts and due to this, his, his, tireless self, his continuous and tireless self-giving, uh, he became quite ill in his mid-40s. Uh, he actually went blind as well towards the end of his life and received the stigmata, so the wounds of Christ in his hands, feet and side. So he accepted all of these things out of love. So his day was still filled with joy despite poverty and cold and unsurety as regards insecurity as regards the future he was still greatly joyful he died then at the young age of 45 having left uh, a, an incredible band of brothers that would then become the Franciscan order throughout the world and like you could you, know, you could talk all day about what the Franciscans have done we think of the the, the cities in America so many of them named after Franciscan missionaries, you know, Los Angeles, the Angels, San Diego, that's St. James. Um, so many cities with San, anything with San, that was named, they were named by, by the Franciscans. So such incredible, incredible missionaries to this day. So what can we learn from St. Francis? For me personally, what I see in St. Francis is a man who simply took the next step in faith. Took the next step in faith. 
didn't necessarily know where, this, where it was bringing, but to just do the next right thing. So we don't have to know the whole story, but just, just do the next right thing. And then the Lord will guide you. Just do the next right thing. You don't have to know the full story. To walk in faith, not by sight. So for you and I today, what is that next right thing? What are we being called to do today? What is it that the Lord wants of you? What is he asking you to do? Who is he asking you to talk to? Who is he asking you maybe to apologize to? Who is he asking you to console? Who is he asking you to pray for? To do all these, these small, apparently small things, but that's how, that's how we walk with the Lord. It's not just choosing your vocation and getting that right. It's, it's the next right so we ask the Lord today, for the prayers and intercession of St. Francis, to teach each one of us to walk humbly with him. Amen.